It is our pleasure today at St. Peter's to welcome the Canon Al Keeney, who is the executive Canon to the Ordinary to our Bishop, Bishop Singh. And we are very grateful that he is here to preach. I worked with Al at St. John's in Canandaigua, where he was the rector for 12 years. Almost 15, how quick the time goes. It was those three years with me that we right. forgot, right? Completely gone. Completely gone. <laughs> so uh, we welcome the Canon, Canon Alchini. We'll give him a chance to get the mic on. It's one of the things they don't teach you. Or maybe they do. I miss the class. It is a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, I want to tell you, first of all, that I have one nightmare about being a preacher and one dream, hope, for being a preacher. And this morning, Julie was testing me because it was the nightmare of arriving at the church and all the readings that are in the bulletin are different <laughs> from the reading you have prepared. So fortunately, we worked that out. Now, my dream actually is this, and it's to preach on Easter, which is an incredibly hard time to preach, and it's to do this. It's to come out, step into the podium, to look at all of you, and to say, Hallelujah, Christ is risen, and you respond, Amen. And then I go back and sit down. That's the preacher's dream. Because this is an incredibly difficult day to preach. We have so many expectations. We have so many people who show up who have expectations. And we have a terribly difficult job to do to explain or to even deal with this thing called resurrection. There are, however, um, opportunities that we look for, and um, I'm just beaming up here, Scotty, hold on. Well, go to plan B, there we go. Many of us arrive in search of some kind of certainty around this concept of, of resurrection. And you know what? If you pay attention to what's going on out in the world around us, you'll see that there are a lot of people who want to help us. For example, N Newsweek, every year, just before Easter, publishes something on Christianity, something on resurrection. I think this one was something about the death of Christianity or something like that. So that was a real rouser for those of us who have to preach. Um, so uh, sometimes they do this, the, uh, something about Jesus. And then, of course, uh, we had the whole piece around, uh, uh, around Jesus and Mary Magdalene a few years ago. What, so I went to one of the great sources for theological insight this time. And I happened to find it in the Wall Street Journal in the weekend edition. 
they actually had an incredible article on some of the signs and symbols that we hold on to as we try and seek certainty in a time and around a subject that is sort of ungraspable. And so what they chose to do this year was to take us through some of the things that people are holding onto. And one of the things that has been a significant influence around this time of years, they always sort of bring it out, is the Shroud of Turin. And how many of you have heard of that before today? See, that, that, that possible, although they say really that the, the, now that the carbon dating has been done, it's, it's back into the 14th century that this was probably done. Still an incredible reminder of possibilities. And, and so they show this, this figure here, which you can just barely see, but, but in the negative side of it, you can see this face that is imprinted on this very unusual cloth held in great um, revere by many people as a reminder to us of, of Christ. But that's not the only thing that's out there. There is also the remnants of the true cross. They say that, they say that if one could, uh, could put all of the supposed remnants of the true cross together, you could build yourself a darn fine church. This is one thing I never heard of until I read the article, and that is the name of it. It is called the Spear of Destiny, and it is believed to be the spear that was used by the Roman guard to pierce Jesus' side while Jesus hung on the cross. And lastly, the Holy Nail. This is believed to be a nail. It was discovered in Jerusalem around the area of Golgotha. And so it, perhaps uh, at the, the, the time of Helena who discovered the true cross, all of these pieces were brought together and held in revere. And so we bring these things out to sort of remind us and in some ways to hold on to this this ineffable, hard to describe, impossible to understand thing called resurrection. But I want to take you into the gospel this morning, the gospel of Mark, and that's why I really wanted to do Mark today, because the gospel of Mark gives us a much better clue of what we can do and should do, I think, in the light of this incredible Easter day. The Gospel of Mark tells us only that there was an empty tomb. There was an empty tomb that was discovered by the women and, and in that tomb was a young man dressed in white. Interestingly enough, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, this young man may have already appeared earlier in the gospel on the night that Jesus was betrayed because there is also a young man in a white robe that disappears, actually runs off naked as they grab his robe and he takes off. And then this young man or 
angel, as some would describe, is there in the tomb. And the question is, where is Jesus? And the words of the young man are, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He has been raised. He's not here. It's an empty tomb. So if you would know where Jesus is, you would go to Galilee. There you will see him. Galilee, the place where Jesus lived his ordinary life, doing ordinary and extraordinary things, where he reached out to those who were in need, the sick, those who were homeless and on the streets, those who were grieving, those who suffered from the pain of the world. That is where Jesus did his work, and that is where, in the Gospel of Mark, we are told we will find the risen Lord. Now, what's a real surprise to many people is that this is the end of the Gospel. There are actually a few more words here that are not up on the screen right now that talks and about the women and says they were afraid. Now all the biblical scholars who look at the Gospel of Mark say that's where the author of that Gospel ended the Gospel. With them being afraid. And so it was some years later that someone added another ending. Some people cannot live without a better ending. And so they have this story of Jesus appearing and all of the other pieces that are part of what comes after this. But it's interesting that Marx, the original writer, whoever that Mark person was, felt that it was important to say that it ends here. They were to go to Galilee, and they were afraid. They were afraid because they didn't understand this. They could not comprehend it. They were in such grief. And if they were going to find anything that was going to help them, they needed to go to Galilee. You will see him in Galilee. What do you think Mark meant? In addition to the place where Jesus did the work that he did, it was also among the people there that the disciples were told that they were going to find the risen Lord. And whatever that unique experience the earliest apostles had of Jesus, which we don't know, 
can only begin to grasp. We know that this gospel author said that it was there in the midst of the ministry of Jesus that they would find Jesus. So where are the Galilees of our life? If we are to know the risen Lord in our midst, we need to know in some way he is not here this morning. Yes, we'll get to that in a minute. But in a sense, if we're coming here just to see Jesus for the first time, we're going to be accosted by the words, he's not here, he's in Galilee. And so we need to begin to ask ourselves, where are the Galilees of our lives? And where will we see Jesus? You can see in the lower right-hand corner of that picture, a date, 6804. I'm a pilgrimage person. I like to travel to places that are unique and different. And I carry with me two questions. One is, why, oh God, have you brought me to this place? What have you called me to see? And the second question is, where will I see Jesus? Here. In June of 2004, I went with a group of people I did not know to the island of Lindisfarne, which is off the east coast of England, very close to the Scottish border. It's considered one of the thin places of the Celtic spirituality. A thin place is, as the Celts describe it, that place where heaven and earth seem to come close together. And the island of Lindisfarne is such a place. And it is a tidal island. And as you can see in this picture, the tide has gone out. And these pilgrims, me in the uh, red jacket, right where there, are standing waiting for the rest of the pilgrims who had made this pilgrim's walk along the soft, soggy bottom of where the ocean would be coming in in only a few hours. With only those, do you see those sort of sticks sticking up on the right and the left? Those are guides to know where to follow so that you stay on the path. And there's also like a small raised place where one can climb into just in case you were a little late in getting out for your pilgrimage walk. It means you have to wait until the tide goes back out. So there we were, and what we're looking at is we're looking at some of the women in our group. We had some, some women of age in our group who were willing to do this walk, and it was a long walk, but in our enthusiasm, those of us who were just a tad younger decided that we were gonna run ahead, and we did, and we got ahead to this place, and we had to wait for them. Well, they finally got up to us, and then we, in the next few days, made a second part of our journey, and we went from Lindisfarne on the east to the west side to go to um, the island of Iona, which is in the Scottish Hebrides, another place of pilgrimage. 
And as we were getting ready to go on our pilgrimage, our Iona pilgrimage walk, we were all gathered and some of the women who had been later in the procession of the Lindisfarne walk said, hey, look, we're gonna make this walk, but we're gonna go at our own pace because we're older. We don't know what's, we, we can't run ahead. And it was interesting because as we gathered in prayer, the younger women in the group, I was one of three men in the group, the rest were all women. The other younger women got together and, and spoke to each other. And then when we went out, we went out as you, I don't think you can tell very much in this, but we're all wearing parkas and it's all covered over and we're on some steep, slippery hills going up and down the hills. And I said that I would stay behind in the end to make sure that everyone was making it along the way all right. And the right ahead of me in the blue parka was a woman who was young and watching and caring for the older women. And as they went along, they took the arms of these older women and they helped them to negotiate the slippery steps and slopes along the way. And as I stood there and watched them, the rain hitting my face was nothing compared to the tears in my eyes as the question was answered for me, where is the risen Christ? He was there. He was there. Just Friday, I was reminded of this wonderful piece that comes from Teresa of Avila, one of the great women mystics of the church. This is a bit of a paraphrase of something she wrote, but it's quite important to me that Christ has no body on earth but ours, no hands but ours, no feet but ours. Ours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion looks out upon the world. Ours are the feet with which Christ is in the world. Ours are the hands with which Christ blesses all people now. And with that in mind, it reminds me of being at the tomb because the last lines are, let us go from this place without fear and be the body of Christ in the world. I was reminded of it on this Friday because on this Good Friday, the Episcopal Diocese of Rochester sponsored a walk, a pilgrimage walk away of the cross. And over 300 people participated in this walk. We began in the Church of the Ascension and in a circular pattern made our way to Sacred Heart Cathedral. All of our stations outside. Several of those stations were at places where people had been violently killed. One place was near a parking lot where a woman was beaten to death in 2007 by a crowd of people. And what I saw 
was 300 people being the body of Christ, walking and witnessing in a place of death, witnessing to life, witnessing to life eternal, witnessing to that which is ineffable, unexplainable, hard to grasp. And it was there that I saw again the risen Christ in our midst. Have you been to St. Peter's in Galilee? This is where you will also meet the risen Christ. This is Galilee for many people. And I want to use a bit of a written text here because I want to speak very clearly to those of you who may not be part of this community, who may be here visiting today because something was stirred up in you to come to St. Peter's this morning. Something brought you here. And I want to honor that and tell you that if you're not exactly sure why you're here, that's okay. Perhaps you're here because you know that times are very tough in our world right now and that you are looking for some sense and sign of hope. So if you're coming here looking for hope, welcome to St. Peter's. St. Peter's Galilee, that is. And we hope that you will come back again and again because it won't be just on this morning that you will meet the risen Christ in the midst of these people. It's not just today when we need hope. It's in all the days of our lives, the ones filled with joy and the ones, unfortunately, that are filled with grief. It is here at St. Peter's in Galilee that we tell each other again and again this life-giving story of God's love for us. It is here week after week that we find our strength to go from this place into the darkness of the human condition, into the other Galilees of our lives, to do justice, to seek mercy, to walk humbly with our God, to proclaim the good news it is here week after week that this stuff of resurrection comes to life. It's not some bumper sticker statement easily summed up in a catchy phrase. It is here week after week that we share our joys, our laughter, our brokenness, the difficulties of living and the pain and suffering of dying. It is here this morning that we will baptize Jack into the body of Christ. And it is hoped that as Jack grows, there will be a witnessing community, a body of Christ present to him that will show him where his Galilees are 
and help him to live in the fullness of the new life that is his in Christ today. And here in the presence of the risen Lord who comes to us, yes, indeed, comes to us today and every week in the sacrament of bread and wine that comes before us, we grow more willing, more willing to go into the other Galilees of our lives, more grace-filled to open our hearts, more able to see a new vision. And that, brothers and sisters, is truly resurrection. This is truly new life. To be able in the midst of fear and suffering and grief in great hope and deep sorrows to proclaim that Christ is alive. To say with true meaning, Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia.